Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Get your advanced PhD in WOW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles. It's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. If you're like a lot of people, engaging in small talk can feel awkward and tedious. Consequently, you avoid it as much as you can. My guest today argues that if you want to get ahead both personally and professionally, you need to embrace these little exchanges. Her name is Deborah Fine, and she's the author of the book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. And today on the show, Deborah explains why small talk is actually a big deal and isn't just a waste of saliva. She then shares the biggest obstacles people have in engaging in small talk and the two mindset shifts you need to make to get over those obstacles. Deborah and I then discuss specific tactics you can start using today to start conversations, keep them going, and end them gracefully. Lots of actionable advice that you can use immediately to improve your day-to-day life, so take notes. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash smalltalk. And just a quick heads up, Deborah works from home and her family just took in a little dog named Gizmo. And Gizmo makes a bit of an appearance in the middle of the show. Did her best to minimize him, but he's there. Just want to give you fair warning on it. Doesn't last for very long. Deborah Fine, welcome to the show. Well, Brett, thank you very much. Great to be on. So you uh, wrote a book that I'm a big fan of because we've used it as a resource from some content we've written about over the years. It's the fine art of small talk. It's something that I think a lot of people makes them uncomfortable, feel awkward. I'm curious, were you always an expert in small talk or did you? was this a skill you had to develop as well? Uh, I I was the opposite. I, I, I am an engineer by education. I did not choose engineering because I liked to chat with people, Brett. Just the opposite, actually. And in addition to that, I had quite the weight problem until I was in my early 30s, and meaning very overweight. And so I was excluded from a lot of things. I didn't have girlfriends when I went to school. I didn't get asked out for a date till I got out of college. So my best friends were books. Books came easily, mingling with people, going to a networking event, which I really didn't have to do as an engineer. But, but even approaching my boss during a coffee break was completely out of the scope of my ability to do. I, of course, if my boss approached me, yeah, I would be okay. And if he or she managed the conversation, I'd be pretty okay, not great. So I had this epiphany when I, I lost all this weight. You know, I, I thought that was so magical. You know, you feel so, wow, I finally did this. And I thought friends would magically appear, and they did not. And what I observed is that you really have to know how to at least small talk. And by small talk, you know, I, I, I used to think, what a waste of saliva, Brett, right? I mean, 
why would anybody want to learn that? That is not intellectual. That is not for an engineer type. But I learned that it's, at least in my mind, it, it really is sort of the appetizer for a relationship. It's not the most crucial part in, in romance, in business, in your social, your, your close friends, but it, it's what starts it. It's, it's sort of a frame, and then you can go further and, and gain either a closer relationship or business friendship and or closer relationship romantically, et cetera. So I had to learn how to do it, and that, that really was my inspiration was I thought, wow, I learned how to do this. Then I labeled it, and I thought, Maybe there's other people besides dorks like me that want to learn this. So that that's where truly, and I actually, and this is no diss on engineers at all. I really believe this. I thought, oh, only engineers like me will want to learn. They're the only ones that are struggling. And it's been quite a revelation to learn that even some people that you think are vivacious are struggling as well. But all kinds of professions and people, and sometimes we go through transitions in our lives and that we're not feeling as confident with with the small our small talk skills. So it, it is amazing the need out there for for labeling what small talk is and sort of making it a tool set that you can use when you need to. Are you still an engineer? Or are you doing the small talk thing, teaching people? No, no, I'm no, no. That's a long time ago. I'm actually a a, a keynote speaker and trainer now. That's oh, how wow. I earn a living all over the world. That's how fantastic. Yeah, Thank it you. is. And all thanks to small talk. Cause like, I'm sure small talk plays a huge role in that. Cause I, I think you made a good point. I think a lot of people, they, they avoid small talk or they, they think it's bad, you know, dumb. It's just a waste of time. Right. But as you said, like, that's how you start not only personal relationship, but you give all these examples in your book of how small talk or avoiding small talk can injure you professionally as well. Well, I think it can. I mean, let's go back to just my example of me. I don't know this for a fact, but I really believe I became invisible when I was in engineering. If if you're not willing to walk up to the boss, I'm the kind of person that if I was in a classroom style setting where they were going to teach us some skill set or, or it was some program for the organization, I was the type that didn't sit down until the meeting began because what if I had to sit next to you, Brett? I mean, what what was I going to talk about with you? I don't know you. And even if I knew you from projects, we were waiting for the meeting to start. That So were we going to talk about business? You'd probably say, hi, Deborah, how are you? I go, oh, great, how are you, Brad? And then what do you talk about after that? So I think that really harms building rapport with your colleagues, with your boss, et cetera. But what I do know now, and I do see the pressure out there because of the clients that hire me, you're expected to have visibility also in a hospitality suite or in an exhibit hall, even an engineer. Forget a lawyer, an architect teachers, you know, if you sit down with a teacher for your kid's conference and that teacher is awkward and or doesn't frame that, what I consider a business conversation, your kid's evaluation with some small talk, then you might not like the teacher, Brett. And if you don't like the teacher, it just, it isn't good for property, school taxes. We vote no. When we don't like a teacher, do you know people actually vote no? Isn't that crazy? But they do. And so I think small talk, and not for extended periods of time, but should be a picture frame around the selling of a widget, a presentation, a negotiation, a provision of service, whatever it is that you're engaged in in business, if you put small talk around that, you will develop business friendships and all things being equal, people do business with their friends and all things not being so equal, people still do business with their friends. Yeah. I mean, despite your competency, I mean, you might be the best whatever, 
But if right. people don't like you or feel comfortable around you, they're not going to do business with you. Or they're not going to like working with you. Or not only that, and I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better, Brett, but there's another benefit to small talk, and that is to gain visibility. So what I mean by that is if you're not a confident networker and you went to, let's say, Stanford Law School and did great on your LSATs and you are currently an attorney for a firm and they're looking at cutting back, who do you think they're going to cut back? The person bringing in the billable hours, what they call a rainmaker, or they're going to look at your GPA from law school and see you went to Stanford so they're going to keep you on board. If you're not, there's so much power to meeting new people. That is how we bring in clients and referrals. And, and I'm not just speaking now to, to attorneys. I'm speaking to whether you're an entrepreneur and need angel investors or whether you are a CPA and need to build your practice. You can be the best CPA. And if you're not willing to go to after hours events, and or civic opportunities or charities and meet new people so they get to find out about what you do. How are you going to build your practice? I'll, I'll use an anecdote in my personal life. My, my husband happens to be a periodontist, so we don't want to go into too many details except that that's a gum surgeon. But he'll tell you that when a patient comes into his office, he will he's seen a lot of bad dental work. So whether that be ortho, whether that be cavities, whatever, he doesn't do that but he'll see bad work in people's mouths. And more often than not, the bad work that he sees in people's mouths come from dental practices that are big, that are successful. Why is a dental practice successful and yet, and yet just dispensing bad dental work? Because you walk in there as a patient and they make you feel good. Deborah, it's so good to see you. They didn't call me Debbie. Already I love them because a doctor didn't call me Debbie. Wow, I, I love you. Uh, how have you been? What's been going on? Bring me up to date about the family. They do all that. Of course I'm going to go to that dentist. What about a dentist that does great work but is awkward or uncomfortable with people, but he or she just does great work? The, here's the problem, Brett. You and I don't know if we're having good work done. We just know if we feel good when we're in the chair because they are so likable. That's the dentist we choose is the likable dentist. And unfortunately, that doesn't mean he or she does the best work. I, I hope I've illustrated that well. I feel like I went on a little too long, but. No, no, that was, that was a great example. Okay, so small talk. Help you with your professional life, also your personal life. It gets you out there meeting new people. Right. So it's powerful, but what keeps people from doing it then? Like, why do people not like doing small talk? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, the primary reason in my mind is because we're not in control. So if I'm a fourth grade teacher, I'm in control. I, I studied my curriculum the night before. I deliver it to the students. You know, if I make a mistake, they have no idea. If I'm an attorney, same thing. You know, when I do, I'm a keynote speaker. When I, when I deliver a 45-minute keynote to an audience, they have no idea how many mistakes I made. Only I know. But I sit with you for coffee, Brett, because we're going to meet either on a date, and obviously we were not going to date because, as I mentioned, I'm number one married and number two not a cougar. But let's uh, moving on from there. If we go on our first date because we've been on Tinder, okay, and it was great on Tinder. I'm funny. You're savvy. Oh, wow. And then we go on that first date and I go, so how was your week? And you say, good. How was yours? Good. So tell me about you. Oh, you know, I, I like to run. How about you? I mean, it's just like awkward. We're not clicking because the small talk is bad. So the, 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 what, what I'm trying to 
to lead up to is that we have no control when I meet you for coffee on a date or for business. And I think that's why people hate it is we're in control of our professions. Like you're in control of this interview right now. Like you're going to end it. You're going to decide what questions to ask. That's got to be easy, Brett. You know, you're a pro at this. But if you and I go out for lunch and you're awkward or I'm awkward because we're not in control, then it stinks. It's lousy. So I think people don't like it because they're not in control. They haven't even labeled it that way. They've never looked at it that way. The other reason people hate small talk, um, besides the fact that we, well, we always diss things we don't do well. When I was really overweight, I thought you runners were just like, look at those people. What do they have? OCD running five days a week. Well, geez, you know, I have books to read. Well, because I hated running. Once you learn how to jog and takes off a lot of weight, you learn to love running. So a lot of us diss things that we're not comfortable with, that we're not good at. And, and lastly, I think there's a big risk, Brett, in walking up to somebody new at a party, at a business networking event, at the office. There's a lot of risk because you might reject me. So why would I, why would I ever put myself in that risky position? I'll, I'll just hold off and, and not do that. Okay, so we, we just don't like it right? So we diss it. We think it's dumb or bad. Uh, It's risky and we have no control, which I think risk and not having control are kind of related, right? There's a risk that the conversation is going to go somewhere where you don't want it to go. Right. Right. Or just not go well. Yeah. You know, don't you walk into an event and think, well, I hope I hit it off with somebody. That's what I used to do. Now I can hit it off with anybody, Brett, unless they're a class A jerk. Well, so what is the mind shift change that needs to happen? We'll get into specific tactics, but let's talk about the mind shift change that needs to happen in order for you to start engaging in small talk and getting over those obstacles you might have. Well, number one, two things actually, but number one is take the risk. Be willing to take the risk to walk up to new people when when you are invested in outcomes that are positive. So whether it be business networking, whether it's you're single and want to meet people, you're in transition and just want to build your friendship community because you just moved to New York City, what, whatever it may be, you, you need to go places that you want to be at. So whether it's a spin class or whether it's a, an after hours for an association event, whatever it may be, you need to take the risk of not only attending, but number two, walking up to new people. So I always tell people, if you feel overwhelmed by that, turn it into a task. I, I, when I approach a networking event, tell myself I'll meet, let's say two new people, Brad, or five new people. I mean, I doubt that I would pick five, but two or three new people, one new person, make it a task, tell yourself you're going to do it. And then once you've met two new people, you've met your task, then you can drink (laughs) or you can leave, or you can go sit in the lobby and wait until it's time to sit down for dinner. So that's number one. Be willing to take the risk to walk up to someone new. Number two, second primary thing is to assume the burden. Anybody listening right now that's either shy and or introverted, two different things, knows what I'm talking about and can relate when I say that we are the nicest people on the planet by far. However, we are so self-centered in social interactions that the only person's comfort we are concerned with is our own. I, like I, I identified earlier, if you walked up to me and started a conversation, I was far more comfortable. Now I assume the burden of walking up to you. In addition to that, we're walking down a long, long hall, Brett. We're going into a meeting because I'm going to pitch my program to you or my software package or whatever. And it's a long haul from the, the reception area where you came to get me to your office. Who's assuming the burden of keeping the conversation going during this long, long walk? If I'm a candidate and you're interviewing me for a job, who's assuming the burden? Well, I'll guarantee you the decision maker isn't assuming the burden. 
You need to assume the burden of making that decision maker feel comfortable during that long walk. If I'm sitting at a table of eight, Brett, I used to hope people like you, outgoing, you know, fun people would sit at that table of eight. You'll keep the conversation going, right? Wrong. It's now up to me to assume the burden of making everybody at that table of eight feel comfortable. By that, I mean, I'll come up with things to talk about. I'll include people at the table. I'll, I'll throw the conversation ball to other people at the table and include them. Assume the burden of making people feel comfortable when they're with you. If you do that, they'll feel good about you. If they feel good about themselves when they're with you, they'll feel good about you. Yeah, and one of the other things about assuming the burden and just taking that that approach is that what I found is that most people are waiting for someone else to assume the burden, right? <laughs> like, uh, there, there usually isn't like an extrovert. There's usually everyone is waiting for someone else to take care of everyone else. Absolutely, or they just haven't invested in thinking about being a good conversationalist. They just... I used to hope we would hit it off, Brett. Now I don't hope. I, I employ skills to, like I said, I'll hit it off with anybody unless they're abusive or a class A jerk. You know, if they're if they're going to shut me down or interrupt all the time, that's a different ballgame. Right. And I, another thing you talk about in the book um, with is related to assuming the burden that I liked that's helped me a lot with my small talk is like, think of yourself as a host. Because exactly. yeah, when I'm a host at my own home, like it's just like, yeah, I'm going to take care of everyone no matter what. So it's like you can take that mentality outside of your home and just say, I'm going to take care of people and make them feel comfortable and good. So can I, can, I, can I throw out something here, Brett? Sure. I hope the listeners really heard what you just said. First of all, I'm very flattered that you actually read the book, number one. Number two, they're, they listen to your podcast regularly. You're a trusted resource, right? And my, I mean- I don't know you, but you sound very confident, very comfortable, and very, you're, you're not assertive, you are assertive, you're very, you're, you're directing this, and you're so good at it. Well, thank you. And yet, I hope, I, you're welcome, but I hope everyone is listening. I mean, I've been interviewed many times, including on those big shows, you know, the station and everything, and this is not always the case. So now we're listening to somebody who's really good at what he does, at least when it comes to this, right, Brett? And yet yeah. <laughs> you are telling me you are, I hope everybody heard what Brett just said. He found that if he put on this hat of, of, of exhibiting host behavior that, and assuming the burden that it really helped him in small talk. So just because we're capable at what we do for work does not mean that it is unmanly to admit that we need some help in small talk in order to just sort of make Things work better with people to build that rapport. And I just, I, I just, I just am so, uh, I so admire someone that acknowledges that just because I know how to do my profession doesn't mean small talk comes easily to me. I look, you learned it as a craft just like I did, Brett. No, yeah. And like going to that idea, like I think of it at like small talk as a craft and like I'll even just go to things just to practice small talk right. because I work from home. So it's just me and my wife and my kids. So I don't get much interaction with other people besides my family. So I'm like, I make it a point to try to like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have lunch with someone so I can practice this, the skill of small talks. I know it's important. I agree. You know, I actually joined a civic organization. I won't mention it. Twenty years ago, when I first started my business, because I was alone all the time, and I felt obviously I'm talking about a topic where I shouldn't be alone all the time. But in addition to that, I needed to constantly practice. I mean, I need anecdotes in that too. So it's once a week and I don't get there as often as once a week because of my travel schedule, but I, I go. And as recently as last Friday, I accepted an invitation to some mentoring uh, fundraiser because a colleague bought a table and I went. So number one, I 
you know, I sort of dragged myself out of the office because there's a great quote from John Le Carre, the author. He says, a desk is a dangerous place to view the world. I mean, you just said that in your own words, but, and I make myself, so I made, I said, you're going to say yes to this luncheon because you can. And so then I went and I walked in and I knew I would know people because it's where I live in Denver. So I know a lot of people now because I'm very visible here, but instead of looking for somebody I knew, I did what I'm going to ask everybody listening do. And that is I looked for somebody standing by themselves that I did not know because I wanted to practice small talk. I mean, and I don't mean to sound ungenuine. I, I wasn't using her like as a lab rat. I was using her as a real person because every conversation is an opportunity. You, you never know. So, I, I mean, I admire you that you because it's very isolating now with technology and a lot of us are entrepreneurs and we are alone, but there's a lot of people listening that are in the corporate world and they're alone. They're sitting with headsets on the, they, they eat lunch alone. They, they go on the subway and they don't talk to people. And I think it's a skill that we have to practice in order to be good at. And speaking, and another point you make in the book I thought was really insightful was that because we are, the way we communicate is all online now, text, email, uh, et cetera, the ability to communicate with small talk, conversation, that has become like rare. And as a consequence, there's a premium on it, right? So the better you are able to communicate face-to-face, like you're going to be, you're going to increase your value, not only professionally, but also personally as well, because no one else has everyone else has a hard time doing it. I agree. And uh, there's another thing is, is because face-to-face interaction isn't occurring as often as it used to. I mean, even you, you, you watch Congress, they used to golf together. They used to eat together. They used to, they don't do any of that anymore, which is of course, I think why we have so much divisiveness is because if I don't know you and I don't know about your kids and your wife, then why do I care about you? And you can become my enemy pretty easily. But I, I, I think if you're, if you're, if you put yourself out there for face-to-face interaction, you're bound to build your business, gain referrals, build your network. I mean, the time to build your network isn't when you lose your job or you're worried that they're downsizing. The time to build your network is now when things are going great so that you do have somebody to call on and say, who do you know that might be looking for someone with this skill set? And so those face-to-face interactions count. You send me a LinkedIn invitation, I never met you. That counts for nothing in my in my world. What counts is me meeting you face-to-face if I possibly can and building a relationship where we stay in touch over the course of a year, once or twice. I love that. All right, well, let's get into some tactics here. Let's talk about the thing I think what makes everyone afraid is ta- you know, starting small talk with a stranger. And let's say you're at an event where, it's not a networking event, where there's an expectation people are going to talk to each other. But let's say you're at a wedding or some other, like you're, or you're just on the subway. How do you know if someone is even willing to engage in small talk? Well, the key is to look for somebody approachable. So if if I'm on the subway next to you and you're on your device, then I'm guessing you're unapproachable because you're engaged in another activity. Of course, you know, a lot of people are pretending to be on their devices. We all know that, right? Right, right. Whatever. That's a whole nother thing. And, and, but what I look for, the subway is a tough thing, Brett, because I, I mean, people do really wall off there, but if you weren't walled off, I'd say, you know, are you from New York city or something like that to somebody that was not with their head in a book or with headphones in their ears. But let's go back to a party or a wedding. I look for somebody standing by themselves who is not already engaged in another activity. I've had so much success with this, I could just go on and on. I mean, I've had to go to my husband's dental reunions at the University of Iowa. And and I, when I go, I'm, I'm his second wife. I mean, he's my second husband for whatever that's worth. But so his first wife was with him when he went to the University of Iowa and, and became a periodontist. So, I don't want to have with these reunions to walk around with Steve and have him go, yeah, no, this is, 
Deborah, it's not blah, blah, blah. That's just a waste of saliva. So I always say during the mingling time, Steve, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And I look around the room and I look for somebody standing by themselves. It has never backfired because I'll just walk up to them and say, what's your connection to this? You know, are you a, a de- were you a dental student here? Are you a spouse, a partner, a kid or whatever? And that launches the conversation. I do the same thing at weddings. How are you connected to the bride or groom? I do it at baby showers. I do it when I go to one of my kids, like this weekend, one of my kids is graduating from grad school back east. So I will go back east and I guarantee you what I will do at graduation is I'll walk up to other parents and say, tell me about your kid. Because I, you know, first of all, because I know my son's not going to talk to me. He's going to be all worried about his friends and yada, yada. But I just, I just put that hat on. Like I'm going to talk to new people and I look for somebody standing by themselves that that seems approachable. A good place to do that is after a services at church or synagogue. If you're in a volunteer organization, look for someone that's not already huddled in a group. That's the best person to talk to. And do you just go up and like, you, do you start off with that question or do you introduce yourself? What's the best approach there? Well, I introduce myself first. Otherwise it's just too shocking. Obviously. Right. <laughs> Unless of course, you know, Brad, sometimes we've met the person, you know, we've met them in the office, but we've never talked to them. Right. Right. They're at a holiday party. We've met them. They've been introduced as the woman that has up IT now and we shook their hand, but we've never, so then you don't have to introduce yourself. So you introduce yourself. And then the best way to, to launch a conversation, in my opinion, is to, to employ free information about occasion or location. So an example that I just cited was at a wedding, either they're wedding crashers, of course, I guess that's possible, or they're somehow connected to the bride or groom. So the free information is we're at the same occasion. How are you connected to the bride or groom? If I'm in a fundraiser, you know, what got you involved in this charity? So somebody might say, I'm a guest. Oh, who, you know, who's your guest? How are they involved? Or, uh, you know, I got involved in this charity because I, you know, my mother had cancer. Okay. So you've launched a conversation. If I run the Boulder Boulder at the end of this month here in Colorado, and I'm standing at the start line waiting for our horn to go off for my section, I can turn to somebody next to me. The free information is we're at the same location occasion. You know, is this the first time you've run the Boulder Boulder? So that's, if I'm at a conference, I'll ask, is this your first time at this conference? Or what other conferences do you attend that benefit you? What did you think of the keynote speaker this morning? That's the free information I have. Here's a real easy one. If I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, I'll say to somebody next to me, are you from Cincinnati? Because they either are or they're not. If they're from there, I'll just say, you know, I'm a visitor. What would you say the highlight if I had time to be a tourist that I should go visit? Or I'll say, have you ever lived somewhere else? If they say they're not from Cincinnati, I'll ask where they're from and what brought them there. That's free information. We're in, we're all in Cincinnati at that moment. Are you from Cincinnati? Gotcha. So that's I, the best way to do it. No, I think that's, that's powerful. And uh, in the book, you have some other great, you know, icebreakers, openers you can use for whatever situation, whether it's personal or business. So I encourage everyone to check that out there. But what do you do? I think, so I think a lot of people, they don't have a problem starting a conversation, but there's some people who like, okay, I got the conversation going. How do I keep it going? Because they're afraid of those lulls or there's those silences. So what do you do to keep that conversation going? Well, I'm going to answer that question in one second. First, I'm going to throw out that whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, sometimes people just don't shut up. They're like that. <laughs> Brett, well, let's play along with me for a second. I mean, we've never done this. Brett. Sure. I just met you. Let's see. So what, what, what do you do for a living, Brett? I run a website called The Art of Manliness and a podcast and, as well. And where are you from, Brett? originally um from oklahoma city oh yeah so what you all witnessed all you listeners is an fbi agent at work did you hear i mean literally like a batting cage just hitting them over the head with question after question that aren't even related to one another so 
you know, a lot of people will tell you, oh, ask a lot of questions, show an interest. Well, you should definitely show a genuine interest in somebody, clearly. But but if you want to keep a conversation going, don't pepper people with questions that are all over the board. So the best way I know to start a conversation is, so let's let's go back. If you don't, do you mind playing with me? No, let's do it. Yeah, okay. I think this so, is really useful. So so let's say, let's pretend it was appropriate for me to say, if we're in a professional setting and we're at a networking event, I, I can say to you, so tell me about your work. So you tell me that you, you know, you own this business and uh, there's, right? Yeah. The way you answered. Right. So what I should have said to you is, so, you know, what's involved on a daily basis or um, how do you monetize that? Or tell me how you came up with that or what's the greatest challenge of doing that as an entrepreneur? Anything to stay on topic. It's what I call in the book and I'll just I call it in real life, digging in deeper. Digging in deeper is staying on the same topic. If my, when, when I walk in the house tonight, because I'm booked this afternoon, when I walk in the house tonight, my husband's going to say to me, well, probably, I'm guessing, how was your day, right? Isn't that what's going to happen all over America right. tonight? Like, that's what our spouses, partners, whatever. How was your day? Or where's dinner? No, he better not <laughs> ask me that. Okay, so how was your day? So here's the deal. I'm not sure if Steve means that. How I mean, we've been now we have been married a long time, and you know there's an NBA playoffs on right now. There's NHL playoffs. Like that is his life. So when he says, "How was your day?" He might probably mean, "Brett, hello." Right. That's what you know. So if he would like to indicate to me that he'd like to keep the conversation going, he needs to then say to me, "How was your day, Deborah? Good. So what'd you have on your plate today? Tell me about your work today, or something to indicate that he really means it. So when you say to somebody at a networking event, "How's the conference going for you?" and they say, "Great." Say, what was the highlight? You know, what'd you enjoy the most? Or what was different than what you expected? Something along those lines. So now I'm on a date, Brett. Okay, let's pretend again okay. that I would be on a date. And I would say uh, to you, who you're not dating either, hopefully. And I say, so Brett, how was your week? And you say, great, thanks. How was yours? Well, well, Brett, you know what? Tell me about uh, projects you're working on. I've let you know. I really want to know. How was your week? Right? Right. So dig in deeper to keep the conversation going. Another great way to keep the conversation going is I never walk into an event, a meeting with a client. If I was dating, I would, I would definitely do the same. I am always prepared, Brett. So if I've never met you, which is typically the case at a party or that type of, or a networking event, I'm prepared with things to talk about current events, not politics, because that's just too intense now, but, but something relatable. What are you looking forward to the most about summer? We're all going to experience summer, at least in North America we are, right? Okay. So, you know, what are you looking forward to about summer? What's What are you most excited about now, Brett? So uh, I'm prepared if I'm going to a charity event to ask certain things like that. If I've ever met you before, like you, you were, it was very interesting what you did for me during this, during our interview. And that is you disclose that you have a wife and kids. I didn't know that because everybody listen carefully. It is not cool to say to somebody, are you married? Because what if they say no, where are we headed in this conversation? How's this one? Do you have any kids? No. Well, that's the end of that conversation. So <laughs> let's, let's move on to another way to start a conversation that keeps a conversation going. Okay. If I meet you at a party, Brett, I would never say to you, what do you, what do you do? Because what if you're in transition? What if you stay home with the kids? What if you, I don't know, I don't want to label people. I want to have a decent conversation with you that has nothing to do with work. So I would probably say to you, and I know I do this with people, I'll say, what keeps you busy? If I met you at a barbecue, I'd say, what keeps you busy? 
And then you'll tell me something. You'll tell me about the kids. You'll tell me about the work. You'll tell me something. Now, if I've met you and I know you work because you work for my company, we're at a networking situation, it's a business class, anything like that, or you have a name tag on that identifies that you're with you know, Wells Fargo, I will say to you, Brett, what keeps you busy outside of your work? I think it is one of the best ways to launch a conversation in a professional setting because you're not talking about, but you'll get to the business. You don't have to talk about business right away. Certainly don't want to be one of those people that's identified as someone that only cares about a transaction or is only there to work the room. Instead, I'll say something like to you at a table of eight, what keeps you busy outside of work? Or I'll say, you know, what do you do for fun, Brett? And you'll either introduce your kids at that point, or you'll talk about some fitness thing you're involved with or that you're into film or, and now we're launching a conversation that's real. And it can go, yeah, and, then, and it can go a lot of different places too. It can go a lot of different places, but I think I'll get to know you. And that's my real goal is I want to get to know, even if we only have five minutes to get to know the real you instead of saying, well, what do you do? Well, what do you do? And then we're just sort of like, who cares? You know, another CPA. You know, but right. if I get to know you, if I say, what keeps you busy outside of work? And I find out that you're into yoga and I ask you how you got into it and how, you know, you know, what's the hardest pose or you know, you become more interesting to me. And if you're more interesting to me, I might be more willing to work with you. Gotcha. And I imagine during this time too, like you're not just asking questions like, you know, how do you get, like you need to also provide, you know, say things about yourself because then because it can, if you don't, it starts feeling like you're on law and order getting interrogated. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. Two things. Number one is <clears throat> when someone asks you a question, play the conversation game. So if somebody says to you, how's your day? When you say pretty good, you're not playing the conversation game. You're, you're just, you're nowhere. As a matter of fact, this, this is a typical conversation. How's your day? Pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Well, now we we're still back to square zero. We, we have, we have not progressed in at all. So I'm always prepared when someone, when I want to talk to someone, when I want to connect with them and I have the time, I mean, if I'm passing you down the hall, Brett, and I've got a deadline and I don't have time to chit chat. And you say, Deborah, how was your weekend? I'll say pretty good and keep, I hope yours was good too. And I'll keep walking, Brett. Okay. Because, you know, it's Larry David on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Any fans out there, he has a, an expression he coined that I love. He is opposed to the stop and chat. Just because we're passing each other in the hall does not mean I'm required to stop and chat with you, Brett, nor are you required to stop and chat with me on elevators, at the hostess stand, et cetera. But when I'm at a networking event or I go on a date and you say, how was your week, Deborah?" I better have a sentence ready. You say to me, how was your week? I'm going to say something along the lines of, I had a great week. I, I, you know, I was able to get to the gym five times, which is my goal, but I don't always make it because, you know, work has been super busy lately. That's playing the conversation game. You didn't go on and on, Deborah, talking about your aches and pains or all those challenges at work or how much you hate your boss. You simply gave a little bit of detail about your week so that he, on this date, would have something to talk with you about. So what do you do at the gym? Or, you know, when do you go to the gym? Or how, how did you get to be so disciplined? Something along those lines. So if you say to me, Deborah, how's your year been? Because let's say you and I run into each other twice a year. How's your year been, Deborah? I'm always prepared to give you a good answer. So I, I probably would say, you know, my son is, is graduating from uh, a grad school uh, and, I'm, and we're really looking forward to this ordeal for him being over with. Something, you know, and now, now you, if you're interested in me, you'll ask about my son or what, kind, what he studied. If you're not interested in me, 
I planted a seed, Brett. You see, people that have sons that are in graduate school are human beings. If you say to me, Deborah, how's it going? And I say, great. You know, I planted my flowers this weekend and we already had hail. I have given you something to talk about with me. Plus, I've become three-dimensional. You know, people that plant flowers, Brett, even if you don't plant flowers, people that plant flowers... They are human beings, and we are much more relatable to people that are three-dimensional, even if we don't have the commonality. So if I say, how's it going? And you say, I saw the Aven- A- Avengers movie. I, you know, I really liked it. I mean, I haven't seen it, Brett, so I'm making this up. I saw the Aven- Avengers movie. I really liked it. You've given me something to talk about with you. Plus, without even realizing it, you have become three-dimensional to me because People that go to movies are three-dimensional. They're not just CPAs or engineers or fourth-grade teachers. You must play the conversation game. Also, the second point I wanted to make is when you disclose things about yourself. Now, it doesn't have to be TMI. It doesn't have to be, you know, your long loss, whatever. But if when people disclose that they – when I disclose that I've been divorced and I'm on my second marriage, my guess is people in your audience that have been divorced, if we had been one-on-one – they would have been willing to disclose that they had been divorced too. Once you disclose something about yourself, other people are willing to disclose about themselves. So it doesn't have to be that personal about divorce. It could be something as simple as, I'm really looking forward to, how are you, Deborah? Great, I'm really looking forward to summer because I'm going on a cycling vacation. People are more likely to talk about their vacations now or if they cycle or that they were on a vacation last year because I disclose that I am looking forward to a vacation. So that's why it's such a critical piece to not give one-word answers unless you don't want to talk to me. Right. Another powerful tool that I've used uh, in Small Talk that is from your book is this uh, acronym FORM. Whenever I'm kind of like, how do I keep this conversation going? So briefly, what does that FORM acronym mean and how can that be used to keep conversations going? Well, the acronym that I use for form is family. So talk about someone's family. Now, remember, I don't think it's cool to say, are you married, Brett? But I could ask you, Brett, if if we had time to hang out before the interview, tell me about your family, Brett. Everybody's got a family, all different kinds of families. They're all, I'm in a blended one, right? Some people will say, when you say, uh, tell me about your family, they'll say, well, I have a sister in Florida and my parents still live in Wisconsin where I'm from. That's an answer. Okay. So that's number one. F is for family. O is for occupation. So like I said, what keeps you busy? I, I prefer that. But sometimes in a professional setting, I'll say, tell me about your work or what you do for a living. I don't, I don't know if you caught this. I did not say to you, what do you, when we were play acting, I did not say, what do you do? Because it's just, it's almost so lame these days. So right. I said, what do you do for a living? Because what do you do? Well, what do you, I mean, some people have gotten sarcastic with me and said, well, what do you mean? What do I do? <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, what do you do for a living? I, I like that question a little better if that's an appropriate setting. R in the word form is for recreation. So what do you do for fun? What keeps you busy outside of work? You know, what? tell me about your hobbies or what interests you outside of your work, anything like that. Sometimes I'll ask someone, you know, what are you excited about this year now that can go into recreation? Sometimes people will say, you know, I, I got a promotion, so it'll head back to, into work. And then lastly, M is for motivation. You know, what what motivates you, Brett? What, you know, what what's it, what is exciting in your life or what what motivated you to start this business or what motivates, you know, what, what, what has changed about your motivation since you were in your twenties? I'm so Brett, you know, I know that you're not in your twenties. Okay. But if I could see you, I mean, 
Brett looks great, but whatever. So, you know, what, what's motivating you now that's different from what motivated you when you were in your 20s? I could ask anybody. And I could ask a tr- somebody in their 20s what motivates you now that's different before you went to college. So what's your motivation? So family, occupation, recreation, motivation. I love that. So what I usually do is I'll, I'll try to start off with like a, with a contextual icebreaker to get the, the right. ball going. And then, you know, if things start running out. Then I might go fall back to the form, one of the letters in the right. form. I think that's can, right. I, can I make a point about that yeah. too? I mean, usually if you assume the burden, a conversation will work as long as you're prepared with things to talk about, just as you described with form, okay, that you use that as a fallback. But let me just throw out to everybody when it doesn't work, when it doesn't work because somebody's giving you one word answers, they're not helping you along in the conversation, please pat yourself on the back for trying. And leave them. I mean, unless it's your mother-in-law, I suppose, or, or your boss. Not not everyone is willing to have a conversation with you. If you approach me at an event and I'm a networker who works rooms, I I see your name tag, Brett, and I'm there to sell software to attorneys, and I recognize immediately that you're not an attorney and don't represent a law firm. Then I I'm not going to. I'm, if I'm one of those people that's a shallow person, no matter what icebreaker you use, it's not going to work because I've decided based on your name tag that I don't want to talk to you. So I'm going to give you one word answers and I'm not going to help you along in the conversation. So I want everybody listening to 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 have the confidence to know that your icebreaker, it, it, there is no perfect line. We're all wishing we had a perfect line, but there's no such thing. People decide before you open your mouth whether they're willing to talk to you or not. So part of the fear of like, you know, not being in control is, okay, I start this conversation. What if I need to get out of it? And how do I do so gracefully? I think that's a, a fear that a lot of people have. So what, what's your tips on, you know, bowing out of a conversation gracefully? So let me, I will answer your question, but I, the other reason that we need to bow out is sometimes you're easy to talk to, Brad. I, you know, you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. You have kids. I have kids. You have a wife. I have a husband. We could probably be, you're easy to talk to. So why would I ever leave you, Brett, to talk to somebody else at this party? This is easy. I'll just hang out here. But what if I promised myself I'd meet two new people here? Or what if there's other people standing alone that I'm really conscious of? Or what if it's a business networking event and I really do need to gain some more visibility to gain referrals? So that's another good reason to leave someone is because you are there to make the most of the meeting or the opportunity to meet new people. Okay, so how do you leave people? So there's a couple ways. Most of us do this, and there's nothing wrong with it. They say, I need, Brett, I need to get um, a cup of coffee. I haven't had enough caffeine today. Or, Brett, I need to take off. You know, I have a deadline at the office. Uh, it's been great talking to you. If, By the way, if you can show appreciation at the end of each conversation. So, for instance, today... If I was exiting you face to face, I would say, gosh, you know, it's really been interesting hearing about your business. So if you can say anything nice without going on and on, you're not paraphrasing, you're not summarizing, just acknowledge, gosh, your son sounds like a lot of fun or wow, that sounds like a really tough, you know, tough challenge that you're dealing with at work. Okay. So show, show some acknowledgement of the conversation. Now I need, I need to get some coffee, Brett. You know, I, I haven't, you know, gotten my fill of caffeine today and on my way to get coffee. You can you see the coffee station. It's it's outside the, the conference room, right? It's out in that reception area. But on my way to get the coffee, I run into Andrea. Andrea, oh my gosh, it's been forever. I haven't seen you forever. How are you? And Brett sees me talking to Andrea or he maybe doesn't even know who she is. It's irrelevant. I don't have coffee in my hand, do I? 
people feel like you blew them off. Be really careful when you say I need. When you say you need to get back to the office and you run into Andrea on your way out the door or down the hall, this is what you need to say to Andrea. Andrea, join me. I'm headed back to my office. So you're walking down the hall. Join me because I'm headed back to my office. I have a deadline. So people see you're still walking to your office. If I say I needed coffee, Brett, when I run into Andrea, this is what I'm going to say to Andrea. Andrea, why don't you join me? I need to get coffee. Or I'll say, Andrea, I'll be right back. I'm getting a cup of coffee. I really want to catch up. Because that's the deal, Brett. When I say I need to do something, I you better see me do it or you're going to feel like I burnt a bridge with you. Okay, the other way to get there's a couple other ways to get away from people that I know of. Wave the white flag. The white flag is what they use in car racing. It indicates to the drivers that there's one more lap. And then the race is over. So let's just pretend, Brett, I'm just going to pick on you for a second. You said you had kids. I don't know how many. But let's say you're just going on and on. Like one is like in AP classes already. The other one's going to be an Olympic superstar. And the bragging and the ad nauseum about your kids. <laughs> and I, I just can't listen to it anymore. So this is I'm going to exit you. First, I'm going to acknowledge it. Gosh, you know, Brett, it sounds like you have great kids. I mean, I can say that. I might not think, I might think it's ridiculous, but I can say it sounds like you have great kids. And here's the white flag. Brett, gosh, you know, things have changed so much raising kids these days. You know, before I take off, I'd really like to hear, what, what would you say the number one challenge is? I've let you know, I'm about to take off, Brett. You can get out of this with dignity. You really can by wrapping it up and giving me a concise answer. And or you can continue babbling about how amazing your children are. And I will then, because I've given you the white flag and said, you know, I'm going to, I need to take off in a couple of minutes. But before I do, you know, what's the number one challenge in raising kids today? If you keep going on and have a narrative, I'll say, like I said, I, I really need to take off. When we see this on, you're going to do it to me, Brett. At one point, you're going to say, Deborah, one last question. I mean, I, if I could keep babbling, but my guess is you're turning this off right? You're going to turn me off. So in real life, I'm going to do the same thing. Gosh, that project sounds, you know, like it's been really frustrating for you, Brett. Um, you know, I'd like to hear how you're going to combat it. I've only got a couple minutes left before I, I, I need to uh, take off because I see there's other clients here in the room that I need to catch up with. So what would you say the, the number one challenge is for you? I like that. So again, you're, you're assuming the burden of ending the conversation. Absolutely. I'm not going to let you hold me hostage and go on about your project or your stories. You know, that's a big thing now, Brett, since I've written that book. Everybody's supposed to learn how to craft their story and tell their story. You know, I don't really want to hear a 10-minute story about you unless we become close friends. I want to hear a three- or four-minute story from you about your kids, your work, whatever. That's my rule for myself, Brett. I'm not allowed to talk about myself more than three to four minutes. I can't talk about my vacation, my kids, my business, my anything. And then I have to after three or four minutes, no matter how interested you are in my amazing children, I need to throw the conversation ball back and say, tell me about your family, Brett, or tell me about your work, how you got into that. See, I know my story. I know all about it, every detail. What I don't know is about you. So let's stop giving these narratives that just go on and on only because someone appears to be genuinely interested. And they might be genuinely interested because they're nodding. They're giving me eye contact. They're giving verbal cues. By the way, that's another way to keep a conversation going. Give verbal cues. Oh, really, Brett? Well, oh, give me an example of what you mean by that. Gosh, what happened first, Brett? Oh, so then what happened? 
Jeez, you're kidding. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Give verbal cues. It encourages people to keep talking and, of course, lets them know that you're listening. So let's say you, I've got somebody that's doing that with me. How'd you lose all that weight, Deborah? You're giving me verbal cues. You're, you're giving me eye contact. You're nodding. Well, if I'm not careful, I'm still talking about my weight loss 10 minutes later. That's not cool. I've become a monopolizer. Three minutes into it, I'll throw the ball back. How do you stay fit, Brett? Gotcha. I love that. Well, thank you. Waving the white flag here. This is uh, this has been a great conversation, <laughs> Deborah. Um, where can people go to learn more about uh, your work? Well, thanks for asking, Brett. I and that's another thing. Issue the invitation. If you're in a business situation, say, you know, I'd like to reach out to you. I'd like to stay in touch. Do something. Don't just like cold call me like three days from now. The same with dating. Like, you know, I'd really like to stay in touch. Don't just, you know, find her on Facebook. Say, I'd really like to stay in touch. Issue the invitation face-to-face. It's so much better. And if she declines, she declines. She's going to decline anyways and ghost you. So get it over with. So you can learn more about me at uh, DebraFine.com. That's D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E.com. Everything's there. And thanks, thank you for asking. And my books are there. And, of course, you can go to Amazon as well or any bookstore for this book. Well, Deborah Fine, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Same here, Brad. Honest to goodness, really fun. Thank you. My guest today was Deborah Fine. She's the author of the book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. It's available on Amazon.com. You can also find out more information about her work at DebraFine.com. That's D-E-B-R-A-F-I-N-E.com. Also check out our show notes at AOM.is slash smalltalk, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, I've gotten something out of it. I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.